G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch. Today, you'll be hearing a conversation I had before a record was released and before I got a chance to listen to it, but there was a number of great singles already to appear on it that I was confident to have a chat with. Theon are from Generation Z with music that reflects both their observations and experiences. Following on from the singles Get Stoned, Mattress on the Floor and Modern Medication, they've released an EP called Everyone's a Critic, a release that sees them evolve from folk-like acoustic stylings, adding now to their musical chops indie pop combined with 70s swagger while weaving throughout lyrical twists and turns. Debut made it to the top five of the CBC Music Charts and praised for their undeniably seasoned harmonies by no less than Billboard. From separate locations across Canada, the identical twins Alana and Brienne join Radio Notes. Thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. Thank you for Thank having, you having us. us. Let's talk about the current single from this EP called Modern Medication. It's not a connection to a previous single, Get Stoned, which is legal in your part of the world. So let's talk about the modern medication you're talking about, and that is the obsession with social media. Coming from Generation Z, as you call yourselves, mm-hmm. how does that actually affect you? Well, I find that um, for me, social media, it's really good to promote, if you, especially if you have a brand. It's really great for that, but it can be very toxic to your mind just because you're constantly seeing the best version of everybody else it can make you feel like what you have in your life is not enough and so then you're trying to promote the best version of yourself as well it's like everybody's a product almost like everybody's trying to like promote themselves in this way that's really unrealistic and it can just be toxic in in your brain having expectations that are almost too high for reality and for life the wonderful play that you have with your lyrics is you're talking about as a medication, but in fact, it's a very toxic medication. It's like a drug. It's like, it just, it makes you feel so good when you're getting those likes or you're getting that, that satisfaction from it. But it's really at the end of the day, quite toxic for your mind and for your everyday life. It's an addiction. Let's now talk about both of you as people, as twins (laughs) Australia has a very famous pair of twins who are in the musical industry. When did you decide that music was the thing? I'm going to Alana first. You know, we've always been into music ever since we were born. Ever since we were little kids, we were always singing together. Long as we've been alive, we've always told our parents that we wanted to be singers. And they're actually both professional piano players and now piano teachers. So growing up, we were just always surrounded by music. Yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And then we started busking when we were 13. And that's kind of like when we started getting into it professionally because we started getting gigs out of busking. Yeah, it all kind of started there. Being twins, you will get that double take and everything else that twins get. (laughs) So being 13-year-old buskers on the road was an advantage being a twin to get that extra second or two of the passerby's attention? I would say so, probably. Now that I think about it, it probably was kind of strange seeing two people who looked exactly the same (laughs) singing together on the sides of streets. But people do kind of do a double take when they see us singing and they don't know who we are. 
Music, yeah. Musically speaking, Brianne, has that been an advantage as well in terms now getting to the songwriting process and the harmonies that you can do being so well known to each other? We're very in tune with each other. I think it's just a, it's a result of spending so much time with another person that like you just kind of can almost read each other's minds or just like read each other very well. And especially with harmonies and stuff, we can, you know, really lock in quite well just because we spend so much time doing it together and also like we live with each other we've always lived with each other always have rehearsal time so it's great I think it's been a a really great advantage today I've got you on two different boxes in front of me which is kind of weird because I imagine you would normally be stuck together and I'd be going from left to right left to right instead I'm going up to down (laughs) so it's a little unusual for you I think yeah usually we we would be together but I'm just away on a a little vacay right now. Today we're separated. Obviously, as twins, you've vacayed before together. La- this time last year, we were traveling the UK, me, Brianne, and my boyfriend. And it was it was a lot of fun. And it's kind of sad now thinking about it, especially since times have changed so much. We went to England, Scotland, Ireland, and we were there for six weeks. So that's kind of the last big trip we did. It was really fun. And yeah, traveling with a twin is... A great experience because I feel like we always kind of want to do the same things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like you don't have to argue about like who wants to do what. Like we're just always pretty much in sync with what we want to do when we travel. Really fun. I have the yeah. latest Australian Rolling Stone here, and on the cover is a lady called Tones and I. You've recently yeah. done a cover of that epic song from the Queensland lady herself <laughs> called Dance yeah. Monkey. Well, that song, I, I think it just connected with everybody because it's very different. She's got a kind of like different voice. She's also like got a very cool aesthetic that like I think is pleasing to Gen Z and, you know, the TikTokers and, and all that. That song did well because it's so different sounding and also so fun. Like it is a great song, great melody. And what were you bringing to it yourself? Because obviously whenever you do a cover, yeah. a reinterpretation, what were you bringing to it? We slowed it down a little bit and made it a bit more, well, very much more acoustic because the actual version isn't acoustic at all. And we kind of made it a little bit more melodramatic or something, a little less lighthearted, even though the song itself is extremely lighthearted. Yeah, just to kind of make it our own a little bit and change it up a bit. A bit of a Lord kind of feel to it. Yeah. I love that comparison. We love Lord. Particularly relating to this record. So the influences on both of you but particularly that we're in the back pocket for this record? Like the last record was a bit of a different style. So I think our influences have sort of changed since then. Definitely channeled a bit of Lana Del Rey in this one. I think maybe her just very like, like she just has this very like, she doesn't care what people think kind of vibe to her. And I think we kind of wanted to infiltrate that into this album, Everyone's a Critic. And who else? I don't know. Who else would you say that we've channeled Alana? a bit for this one I feel like for well for my song everyone's a critic for the title like it's kind of the title track um when we were writing it I was kind of thinking about this one Amy Winehouse song called you know I'm no good except that one is a little bit more melodramatic but like kind of taking songs like that like I was listening to a lot of melodramatic kind of angsty songs but then trying to think in my head of ways to make them more lighthearted and kind of more that Lana Del Rey vibe, like not really caring what people think. Like, I feel like our influences are a little bit all over the place, but just kind of like, it's just usually separate songs from people. 
that we really enjoy. We were also listening to a lot of Phoebe Bridgers because we're very into writing lyrics. Like lyric writing is our favorite part of songwriting. So just listening to a lot of artists that are more lyrically inclined. A lot of Lord. I was very inspired by her record Melodrama. And when we were writing a lot of the songs for this record, we were listening to that one a lot. Kind of just like pop music with fun, like interesting lyrics. That's kind of what we were inspired by. Have you had a chance to listen to the new Phoebe Bridges? And if so, are you blown away like many have been? Yes. Uh, Actually, I've been listening to that album on repeat right now. Like, it's so good, especially I think my favorite song on it is Graceland too. That one I just hit on repeat like so many times. It's very beautiful melody and great lyrics. Just love it. Everyone's a critic leaning back into that idea that everyone is keeping an eye on everyone else these days. What are we talking about by everyone's a critic? Well, the song itself, it was kind of just a song about like me making fun of myself at past parties and kind of, because, you know, I feel like when we were entering our early 20s, we were, you know, going out a lot and maybe being a little bit ridiculous And I was just kind of like looking back on some of my past experiences and kind of making fun of myself a little bit, but then also wondering, because like, I feel like definitely at our age, you do feel the eyes of judgment or the judgmental stares or looks or for being, I feel like people judge, but then they would do the same thing kind of. So I don't know. I think that it was kind of lighthearted, but at the same time, just the idea that everybody's always got an eye on you, no matter what, even on social media or Yeah, anything. I feel like these days, no matter what you do, it's going to be documented and people are going to remember it. So that everyone's a critic idea for the whole album is more that, like everybody's got an eye on you. But for the individual song, it was kind of just a song about me making fun of myself. (laughs) We chose it as the title track for the album because it feels like it ties in pretty much with every song. Yeah, it ties in with every song. Just that phrase, everyone's a critic. Like, whether it be with social media or just at parties or just in general, people are usually looking for reasons to criticize each other. We just wanted a really like not caring what people think kind of vibe throughout the album. Just like, you know, these are our experiences, like kind of blunt, but also kind of tongue in cheek, like a little bit, as she said, making fun of ourselves a little bit. Brings us to that key question of how much value do we then put on those that criticize us? and how much we then mm-hmm. value ourselves. Is that a theme that comes across the EP? There's only like a, one pretty serious song on the album, and it doesn't really go into that. But it is funny because another thing that I would tie in with the album being called Everyone's a Critic is that when you start releasing music, you realize that kind of everybody has their like two cents that they want to put in. And it's like we found that with our first album. And at first, like, you know, sometimes it can, people can say things that will hurt your feelings a little bit. And then you kind of learn to just really take it with a grain of salt. Like you have to really love what you're doing because like there's going to be people that like it. There's going to be people that don't. And that's just the fact. And you just cannot let it bother you. Where do you get that strength then from to cut through that? Because it is a very engaged world these days, as we mentioned with the social media. How do you cut through that? How or even protect yourself from that? Really, at this point, it's just more experience because we started in this business when we were pretty young. We started recording our first record right after we graduated high school. So we were 18. Now we're 22. But and I know that doesn't sound like a a huge age gap, but I feel like it kind of is. It's just from meeting different people that we've worked with and their attitude towards the whole thing. Lots of pep talks from 
friends and everything. And I just think that now, like, I think we both kind of have finally come to the conclusion that we don't really care anymore, which is a good thing. It's actually, it's a very liberating feeling. And I finally feel it now. So it's a great time to release this record. Everyone's a critic because, yeah, we don't really care anymore. It's... I'm a huge fan of 604 Records for which your album comes out on, particularly one of the artists, Shirley Known. She's got a record that's just been released. Mm-hmm. What is it like to have that professional relationship with a record company like 604 Records? I would say it's, def- it's wonderful because we, we have a project manager that we work very one-on-one with and it's just great. We've built such great relationships there. We really feel like we have a team that has our back. You know, and that's a really good feeling to have in this industry that can be very cutthroat sometimes. And it's just nice to have like your team of people that are trying to lift you up and believe in you and want to help you. We feel very lucky. The label mates that you get to share with. Fantastic. Yeah, even like we featured on a song with some of our label mates, Fake Shark, a couple of years ago, and we've become good friends with them now. And the lead singer of that band, Kevin Maher, actually produced Everyone's a Critic. So I feel like everyone in the label is kind of intertwined and we've co-written with a few of the groups on the label. Yeah, and then our new record, some of the songs are produced by Josh Ramsey, who's from Marianas Trench. You know, we've always loved them. It's actually really cool to have our names up there with such talented, amazing people. It feels really good. Yeah, just the fact that you have like this creative pool of people that you can work with and it's, it's just a really great community to be in. So we feel very lucky. We feel very happy about it. Alana, can you pick another song off the EP for us to have a chat about? I'm trying to think of one, because a few of them have already been released. Maybe we can talk about one that hasn't been. Um, I think that my favourite song that hasn't been released is one called Let Me Be a Flower Child. It was actually written by Brienne. I think it's my favourite one because it's the, it's really the only ballad of the record. Brienne, actually, you said that you wrote it on on our local bus from our hometown to the city. <laughs> so all the lyrics were written on the bus. Yeah, it's my favorite one just because the lyrics are kind of all about kind of escaping this reality we've created with social media and just modern life, like in the city and just about being, I don't know, going back to our roots. I can probably explain a little bit more about that one. I wrote the lyrics on the 351. It was one of these experiences where like, and it's my favorite song that I've ever written, like I'm very happy with this song. It kind of started and I had to go somewhere that day. I think I was going to work. So I got on the bus. I just continued writing the lyrics and they haven't changed since I first wrote them. Because usually you go through rewrites and stuff, but for this one, it didn't. And yeah, it's definitely about wanting to escape this world of social media and kind of romanticizing like the 1960s flower child idea, but then like also realizing that your idea of that comes from like movies and like media it's still like fake it's still not even real yeah still not even real yeah so it's a very this like kind of escapism kind of ballad I'm pretty happy with that one as well were you guys separated during high school or were you always classed together what was the learning environment like during high school for the twins the identical twins at that yeah for us high school we were like, we weren't usually in the same classes. It's kind of nice though, because then you get to build like a different identity. You kind of can have different friends, you know, because people always assume that twins are just always wanting to stick together and just always wanting to be with each other, which we do. But like, it's also nice to kind of develop our own identities at the same time. So we never had a problem with that in high school, but it might be different for some twins. 
yeah, I think the first year we kind of separated, but then we, I don't know, I guess we realized that we really just wanted to share a friend group. So now even to this day, we still share a friend group and yeah, we've always been very close in that way. I can appreciate you're going to get a lot of the twin questions, so I really should move on from that because that's just going to be what everyone wants to know. But because we do have the Veronicas in Australia, have you ever heard the Veronicas music? Yes, I remember Untouched. That was a huge song. And that song, it's it's a bop. It's a jam. Yeah. That's a good song. I, I haven't really heard their recent stuff, but... I know that was like the really big one that kind of internationally blew up, right? Yeah, the recent one drops this Friday. So you still have a chance to hear the recent stuff from them. It's been a little while between. Final question regarding being twins, though. If we're talking about image, we're talking about twin sisters. There's only one role in musical theatre that you could really be playing. Can you talk to us about Cinderella? (laughs) I guess I know you're right, the the ugly stepsisters, right? Yeah, we played the ugly stepsisters in our high school. Yeah. I think I was Maddie and she was Hattie and she wore a fat suit and we had a pie fight and it was really fun. It was really fun. But of course, like they had to cast us. There was nobody else that could cast Exactly. But we were totally okay with that because I think that's really what we wanted to be. Like, who yeah, wants really. to be Cinderella? That's kind of boring. That's too <laughs> basic. <laughs> it's so fun. Let's take us back to that debut very quickly, just to give a, a sense of history for our listener today. And that is back to 2017. The debut was called Skeleton. Stylistically changed between A and B. I wrote Skeleton when I was 17. So it was kind of, I think that at that point, we really felt like even both of us felt like our songs were a lot stronger than they had been previous to that. And yeah, I mean, stylistically, we changed a lot. We actually started, like, in the first place as a country folk duo. So changing our style to, like, what Skeleton was, was even a bit of a, a leap for us. Like, that was a bit weirder than anything we had ever done before that. So it was kind of, yeah, I guess it, it's kind of more like a folk rock song. And I guess the decision there was, I don't know, we just felt that it was a strong song. So we wanted to release it first. And it's a, but it is quite different than our recent songs. Robert was then moving on through that. There was a sense of maturity coming through. Yeah, well, that was like a that was a song that I wrote about my first love, and that, of course, that's gonna like bring out the kind of like, I guess, the more mature sort of story. I don't know. That song was very much like a story, very specific details and just like, you know, very like right from the heart. So that was like the little ballad on on that album. And it was it was kind of still going with that folk thing, which we still like love folk. And maybe we'll go back and do something more folky again. But I think that like now we have more of a solid idea of what we wanted stylistically, just because for the first record, we were like really keen on the songwriting aspect and stuff, but image wise and sound wise, because we were making the transition from a country duo, we were like a little bit confused about what we wanted. Very much. I get a feeling that these luscious ballad tones that we're hearing still under some of the louder indie pop vibe is from Mm -hmm. you. So why so attracted to the balladeering? Is that just something that's, about you in the in the group the balladeering the 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 longer ballads yeah I would say that I'm the more angsty twin would you agree Lana (laughs) I would agree with that yeah Uh, it's always been that way like when we were kids 
My favorite character in Winnie the Pooh was Eeyore. And mine was Tigger. Tigger. If that tells you anything, if you know the characters of Winnie the Pooh, I think it explains a lot. I've just always been a little bit more like of that kind of, I like to listen to sad songs and cry kind of person. So I like to write sad songs and cry as well. Alana, how hard was it to console such um, an angst-ridden twin, the younger twin at that, by 45 minutes? I mean, I don't know. I guess just give her a lot of hugs. I feel like sometimes like the, the release of emotion, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I don't feel like, Brianne, you often need me to hold you up. Like it's not really that as much, but she, I feel like she's just more, just a little bit more ready to shed a tear than me. But then when she does, like, we just hang out and like, I don't know, we kind of talk each other through everything. It's not foreign to us to like, yeah. yeah. It's, when you're a twin, you kind of feel like you, I know this sounds cliche, but you do sort of feel like you are one person in two bodies in a way. So it's like, it's interesting. It's like having a conversation with yourself. Would you agree, Lana? Does that sound I don't creepy? know. I, that sounds a little bit creepy, but I think it's, yeah, I do know what you're saying. It almost feels it's like the two of you would make one person, but then we do have very different personalities. So that's it's like different sides of yourself. Almost. Yeah. Hey, I'm Bob Harrow from Immigrant Union. We've got a new album, Judas, and I'm coming up on Radio Notes. Talk us through Mattress on the Floor. Yeah, so that one is one I wrote a little while ago. I wrote it around the time when Brienne and I first moved into our apartment, which was our first apartment. And that was kind of a, a scary thing to do because we were moving into the big city from our smaller town outside the city. And I remember for some reason for the first I guess, month that we lived there, we didn't have a bed. Because I think we were waiting on, on somebody to give us a bed. So I remember what I did for the first couple of nights was I just rolled out carpet, like multiple carpets on the floor with carpets underneath my head. And I think Brianne's head as well. And then and then one night my boyfriend came over and he thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And he gave me a mattress. <laughs> so then we had a mattress on the floor in the apartment for the first month. And I just remember kind of feeling like lost and scared and confused and existential the whole works I don't know just I guess the metaphor of the the mattress on the floor that is kind of through the song was kind of that mattress on the floor our first mattress on the floor in our first apartment but then it also has like the the meaning of like the mattress on the floor being like feeling like you're at rock bottom almost but like having the time of your life at the same time which we were because yeah it was a blast optimistic song because it was kind of like you know because at the end of the chorus it says from the floor I feel free kind of like I feel liberated at least for us because we were finally out of our parents house and we were just feeling liberated and young and free and we were doing it on our own for the first yeah, time yeah exactly like adults it was a fun I mean it's still going on but it was the, that first year especially it was just such a fun time of life but like it's like the kind of the you know I have nothing figured out but I'm okay with it and I'm having a great time kind of thing and it's also good when you're lying on the f- ground, at least. That, from that perspective, you get to see the stars. Do you rarely get to see the stars on a mattress? That is true. We, yeah, we actually have stars that we project on our ceiling as well. That all ties in. It all ties in. We have a, a little in-home planetarium. <laughs> you like put little star slides in it, and then you turn on the light, and it like projects the stars on your ceiling. There were many nights where we would just lay with our friends and like look at the stars on the ceiling. When did the fascination and how far does the fascination to space go? Would the twins want to go there one day? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. 
think I would. I think I, I think that I would definitely love to go to space. If they start doing like where regular people can go to space, then I definitely want to go to space. I feel like it would completely change your perspective on life and just reality in general to be able to like fly around the earth and see how small it is. It would really put you in your place kind of thing. I feel like it's funny because I'm kind of the scaredy cat of the two of us. Like if there is a scaredy cat twin, it is definitely me, even though I am the more talkative one. So people assume for some reason that Brienne might be the more scaredy cat. I, d- I would go to space, but I would it would take a bit more convincing for me. And it'd probably be Brienne convincing me. Like Brienne wants us to both learn how to scuba dive. And she's been trying to get me to do that for years. And I'm terrified of that idea. But then, yeah, I feel like eventually she'll convince me to scuba dive and go to space. It's probably going to happen. If she does it, I'll probably be there too. Where is that spacecraft going to make it worthwhile? You know, to be honest, for me, realistically, orbiting the Earth would be my best option. I, I'm not the kind of person that would want to go to Mars or actually I'd probably go to the moon if that was ever a thing. If humans, if regular Joes like us could go to the moon, that would be pretty cool. But I wouldn't go anywhere further than that. I, not that that's even an option at all, but yeah, some people that say that they want to be the first humans on Mars, like I really respect those people because that would not be <laughs> my thing. But yeah, I think the moon Definitely. Or even just an orbit I would find fascinating. I would love to go to Mars if it wasn't for the fact that, like, you could probably never come back. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to be left on Mars. I think Earth is pretty nice. I would definitely do the moon thing. I'd love to just jump around on the moon. Maybe I could write a song about it. How is Generation Z keeping memories? I know you're Instagramming, you're TikToking, you're putting everything online, but how are you actually keeping memories? Hmm. It's kind of interesting because sometimes I think about it and I find that if I spend too much time taking pictures in a scenario, I almost feel like it tarnishes the memory because there's no living in the moment. So I almost have a problem where, because I think I used to, when I was younger, take lots of pictures because I just really wanted that Instagram, you know, that perfect Insta pic. Nowadays, I almost don't take any pictures because I always want to live in the moment. Now I find that I have the opposite problem. Like I am not keeping any memories. Like I looked through my phone the other day and I can barely find any pictures of my life. I'm like, what have I even been doing for the past? I know. Well, I mean, I guess we've all been in quarantine kind of. So that's kind of what I've been doing. But in general, yeah, I feel like there's a, a balance there. But I guess it just depends on who you are because a lot of people a lot of their memories would just be their Instagram feed. But I don't know. What do you think about that, Brianna? Are you kind of, you're kind of the same as me. Instagram almost like works as like, the thing about Instagram is it's like your scrapbook, I suppose, of pictures, but your scrapbook put on display. So it's like you pick the best ones and the ones that make you look the best. So I think it's good in that way in that like you can keep your memories. But I mean, we went on our trip to England and Ireland and Scotland last year. And I think I only have like four pictures from that trip because I I was doing the same thing. I really wanted to live in the moment and just enjoy everything and kind of be free from social media and like look out the window of the train and like contemplate the meaning of life and all this stuff. So there's a balance because I think that I've, I kind of missed having some pictures. I'm, I was like, oh, every time I go to look, I'm like, there's only like four. I wish I had at least a few more, just a few more. Do you have the confidence that you'd still remember those times that aren't on the gram? 
absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I can close my eyes and I'll just be right back there. I, we both have really good memories. Let's talk about the songwriting process for which you both are a part of, mm-hmm. particularly across this release. What is that songwriting process for you? And I guess talking about memories in line with that as well, how do you record your songs? We usually, first off, write separately. That's kind of like what we've done in the past, what we did for this current record that's coming out. So we write separately, and I think we both kind of write in different ways. So the way I would write is I would usually... I think I'd usually come up with a melody first and a title and I'd kind of like sketch out what the song was going to be about and do a stream of consciousness to see what sort of words would come to my mind as to like what having to do with the topic that I want to cover. Like my writing is a, a bit structured in that way. And then usually I would record melodies into my voice notes on my phone. I used to write a lot more on acoustic guitar, but these days we're both writing a bit more on Logic Pro. So we can play around with synth sounds and that kind of thing and kind of get the vibe of the song, like, especially since we're writing a bit more pop. Cause yeah, because before we just write it on acoustic and then kind of turn the songs into pop songs. But I think, Brianne, yours is a little bit different. If, if I'm in a room and I'm writing with other people, I can really go with the structured sort of writing and it works for me. But in my own head, I'm just far too disorganized to be that structured <laughs> writing I kind of just write whatever comes out and I would prefer myself to write on acoustic guitar I can just be more creative that way because I'm really familiar with the guitar and I feel like it's like alive or something it's um, really weird it's like my friend and we go on a journey together I write streams of consciousness all the time in my notebook and I'll just go through and some of it's just and then some of it's actually kind of insightful and so then I go with the insightful parts and then I just kind of build around the way I would describe it is like I get movies in my head of these random images of things and then I write and sew it together in my brain according to the images and the colors. When you're talking about those streams of consciousness are we talking pen and paper still? Yes, I write pen and paper. I wouldn't, I don't like looking at my phone for longer than I have to. And also I get distracted easily on my phone. Like then I'll start going and checking Instagram or like TikTok or something like that, just because they are meant to be addictive and they are very addictive, these apps. So I just try to put my phone somewhere I can't find it and then go and sit and do this because I think it destroys creativity. Both are still into the whole notebook pen and paper thing. So is it a moleskin? Is there a particular pen? E.g., does it have to be the same notebook every time and the same pen? Yes, actually, not the not the same pen, but the same notebook. Like usually, I it's kind of I always want to finish a notebook. Like I don't like starting new ones if one isn't finished yet. Yeah, I think Brienne's probably the same there, right? Yeah, it's usually a case of. But then I'm like a notebook hoarder, and I like every time I see a pretty notebook in a store. I'm like, <laughs> And then I like want to use it instead of the other one. So I kind of go between maybe three or four at the same time. Regarding that not wanting to look at the phone, you may have meant during the songwriting process, or do you mean that even more generally that you're making a conscious decision not to engage with that in your hand? I mean that generally. Mm. And because I think that social media can be very toxic. And we, I use it a lot for our band. 
we continue to use it because it's, again, a good way to promote yourself. It's really the only way these days to promote yourself and get yourself an audience and people listening to your music. But personally, I try not to engage in it more than I have to because I will start to get really addicted and I won't get anything done and then I'll just be you know it starts to make you feel bad about yourself because you're seeing the best version of everybody else and it starts to make you think when you're sitting there in your pajamas eating your toast in the morning and you're like oh this person looks so glamorous and then you realize that they're probably in their pajamas eating their toast at the same time (laughs) so I just try my best to live in real life do you get a sense there is a bit of a counter movement to that though? Like the whatever Friday where it's, you know, no makeup or the messy, well, not, not messy hair because that kind of suggests that you don't care, but maybe the unkept hair. But it's like still styled unkempt hair. If somebody is doing like, oh, no makeup Monday or something. I, I don't know if people do actually, I don't know if people do that anymore. I feel like that was a thing when I was a teenager. It was like, oh, today is no makeup day, but like they're still obviously wearing a little bit of makeup, you know, still not real. It's still like, you probably took like 50 selfies to get that perfect no makeup look. <laughs> but I've always told myself one day I am going to get rid of it, the phone. I'm not going to have a phone one day or any social media. In fact, it's going to happen. I just have to wait until we've seen this music thing through and then I'm going to disappear one day. What steps you would suggest? I want to get to you on this, Alana, in a moment as well. Same question. What steps to take to get a step away from that toxicity based upon what you've already done? I kind of think that you just kind of have to see social media as what it is. Like, it's kind of hard because when we were younger, especially when we were on it, because we used to spend a lot more time on it, it was easier to feel bad about certain things that we would see online because we just weren't aware of what was actually going on. Like, the fact that everybody that was on social media, they were all spending hours to try and get the perfect look. And, you know, some of these pictures were highly edited and they were professional photo shoots. But now that we've done kind of more professional shoots ourselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, have done lots of research on what, on the marketing capabilities of social media, like now I understand what it is. And now that I'm armed with this information, I feel like social media doesn't hurt my feelings as much as it used to, if that makes sense. The only problem I think I have with it still is maybe it's addictive quality because sometimes, you know, I'll just end up being on Instagram and I have no idea why I'm on it. Like I just checked it five minutes ago, but for some reason my thumbs just take me back to the app. That kind of scares me a little bit. One thing I used to do was make my phone screen black and white. You can do that with iPhones because part of the addiction apparently is the colors. And it actually is true because when my phone was black and white, I did not go on the app as much. So that's kind of how I've combated social media. But what about you, Brianne? I would completely agree with you about as you get older, and especially after you've done professional photo shoots yourself, and then you get the picture back and you're like, is that really neat? And then it shows you that there's a lot of editing and a lot of fixing and lighting and things that are done to make it look perfect and nobody looks that perfect like generally in real life once you see it happening to yourself and you see this picture of yourself and you're like oh my gosh that isn't me then you start to realize oh it's the same with everybody else and then it kind of makes you realize that it is fake I I honestly worry about people that are teenagers or kids that are growing up in this environment of social media like when we were kids there was social media around but it was mainly like Facebook and it just wasn't the same as it is now. Like, it's more now. And I just, I feel like I'd There's be There's so many apps to get addicted to now. now. 
Like for mm-hmm. us, it was just Facebook for most of our adolescents. Mm-hmm. Following people that are always in your face with their perfect pictures and stuff. It's, I think it's troubling to the minds of young people. It brings us back to the EP that everyone's a critic. Once those images have been done professionally and posted, there'll still be comments. Mm-hmm. There'll still be critics. So my direct question yeah. to both of you, <laughs> and I'll start with you, Alana, is how do you deal with the critics? To be honest, I feel like I just genuinely don't care anymore. That's kind of a lie. I mean, not a lie. I think everybody is human. So at first it will hurt. Like if we get a mean comment, it kind of feels like a slap across the face that stings for like 10 seconds and then it's kind of gone. It's not like a broken leg or anything. I think when I was younger, it would have been. But now I feel like experiencing that same thing. Like we've been on social media for a long time. We've been out in the public for a really long time. And now it's just doesn't really matter anymore that's kind of what I think like it just doesn't hurt my feelings I think that I'm confident enough to not let it bother me yeah Brianne I'm gonna say something that's like really cliched and like everybody's mom tells them really the people that are writing the mean comments just feel bad about themselves especially if it's commenting on appearance or something like that like let's say somebody hates our song okay you really don't like it I think that somebody who feels good about themselves, is happy with where they are in life, will just move on. Just like, oh, stop listening to it. I don't like it. Just stop listening to it. But the person who's writing like, this is the crappiest song I've ever heard, blah, blah, blah. That person is like not feeling good about where they are in life. And you just have to realize that it's a them problem and it's not a you problem. Like to them, you are like a blank slate. They don't know you. They're projecting their own insecurities. They're projecting their own problems onto you. Like either you make them feel insecure or they just want to take out something that's in them on you. And when you realize that, it's hard to get offended by what they say. One more track that we haven't heard of, which we would have by the time this chat goes out fully. A song called Forgive Me. And I wrote that one. And it's kind of a funny one because it's just like I was listening to a lot of Lana Del Rey and I was kind of like wanting to write this Uh, kind of like sexy dream world song it's like the sexy song on the album and I'd never written a song like that so I was like okay I'm gonna give it a go I just pictured myself being in LA in the 60s and then wrote this song it was just kind of like fun for me to experiment with like writing a song that's like a little more a little bit more raunchy but it's my parents favorite song on the album yeah I don't think they've read the words (laughs) I'm like, <laughs> come on, guys. But no, they love it. So, I mean, it can't be that raunchy is what I'm trying to say. Maybe it's just more raunchy in my own head. <laughs> I feel like Brianna always does this thing where she writes really poetic lyrics that in her mind are very raunchy because she knows what it's all about, right? But then nobody else understands. So, like, it's quite funny because she'll be, like, nervous in front of certain audiences to sing her raunchy songs we had another song um on our last record called a pagan's prayer it was even more poetic i think than forgive me this one on everyone's a critic and a pagan's prayer every time we were about to play it in front of like a group of people that were like older people brianne would be like oh we can't sing that one like like, let's change up the set list but i always said brianne no one's ever gonna be able to tell and then our dad tried to get us to sing that song in front of our grandma in ireland (laughs) We were like, no, no, how much of the Irish Catholic, I guess, how much of that has gone through the family line to you two? Oh, 
<laughs> not a whole lot because um our dad grew up very Irish Catholic but then he was in a band and he came to Canada and like you know he was a band guy but then we did get sent to a Catholic school which I don't really know why that happened because it wasn't promoted like in our family at all but like we're very familiar with it now because of going to the school the lyrics will actually be available, one would think, because you're releasing it on vinyl. Even an EP, you're taking the time to release it on vinyl. How are you rolling with the vinyl? Um, it's going to be two-sided. I think three on one side and three on the other. Um, we really wanted to do vinyl for this project because it kind of has that vintage aesthetic. We're referencing the 60s like a little bit and just kind of like get being free of the modern day social media thing. And we kind of wanted to have the vinyl as a part of our merch. And vinyl also is so cool because you can get really artistic with it. Like you can choose a color for the, the vinyl and then also design the cover and you get all the lyrics on the inside. We're really stoked to release that into the world. Yeah, we had a blast designing it. Like for our last record, we only made CDs. I just feel like these days people kind of want, like if they're looking for a collector's item, because that's kind of what merch really is these days because obviously all we have so many streaming platforms that we can choose from but I just think that vinyl is maybe like a it's a cooler collector's item I believe these days than a CD. What was the first record that you guys bought with your own money? I'd say one of the first ones I bought with my own money actually Marianne is trying to CD <laughs> when I was 12 or 13. And I think I went to the CD store. I bought a Marianne's Trench CD, the Beyonce Halo album. What was that called? Sasha Fierce. I bought Sasha Fierce. I think those were the two that I chose. I, okay. Right when Brienne told hers, I totally remember mine. Mine was Lady Gaga, because I was a huge Gaga fan back in the day. And it was The Fame Monster, the record that had Telephone and Bad Romance and all that stuff. And that stuff still holds its own. Like, <laughs> I still love that record. It's very nostalgic for me. So it was that one. And, you know, I think it was the Black Eyed Peas, which I, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that now. But <laughs> back in the day, I was a Peas fan. So yeah, I, yeah, I was about like 12 or something. It's often true that musicians are thinking about their next project by the time records are produced, made and pressed and everything else. So what next for Fionn? We well, we're have, actually work. Oh, sorry. We have actually already started on the next record. And how many songs do we have done? We have like probably seven done. I think it's eight, we're, actually. We're like hopping into a bit more of a pop phase, especially during like COVID and stuff. We've been writing a lot of like, more upbeat kind of happy pop songs which has been fun because like we've never tried that before and I think everybody has multiple sides to themselves right and I think that there's a side of me and Alana that loves pop and loves just like something a little more lighthearted and fun and then we are also like it sounds so silly but we're like planning this record and then we're planning the record after that as well in our heads and that record, I feel like we wanted it to be more like alt pop, like Arcade Fire or something. So we're thinking, so we're like jumping from thing to thing. But like the next record, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. <laughs> way too far ahead. It's going to be pretty pop. We're very happy with it. We're like, we're having fun with it for sure. What's that feeling like to have stuff to take to producers? Oh, it, it feels great. I mean, we're always writing. Like it kind of, it, we're very used to it. Like when we were in high school, we would write every day after school 
And so we really just built it into our routine. So we always have material coming. And I think having a body of work ready, like right now behind the album that we're currently releasing is actually, it's really nice. It makes things a, a whole lot less stressful. Like at least we don't have any writer's block. And there are, are two of us. So even if one of us is having a little bit of writer's block, then the other one kind of takes the wheel for a bit. Like it's, it's, it's nice. We've never had a patchy spot where we've had nothing to release or no ideas. Yeah, it feels good. We can kind of relax a little bit. You're at the front of it. You're doing a lot of the work. But there's some other people involved as well. Who would you like to share and mention as we wrap up today? Chevy, Kevin Maher, who is the producer of Everyone's a Critic. We Basically, the Everyone's a Critic, the album that we're currently releasing, was completely made by the three of us, me, Alana, Kevy, and then Alex Glassford played drums on a few of the tracks. Other than that, it was all a lot of time that was just the three of us spent working on it, which I thought was really cool. And so we have to like give him so much credit for how the album came out. And yeah. we just are so proud of it. So thrilled. Alana and Brianne, thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. Yeah, thank you so oh, much for having us. Alana and Brianne of Fion. They can be found online at fionband.com. That's F-I-O-N-N band.com. Everyone's a Critic is out now through 604 Records. Coming up next episode, we'll be catching up with Shane Adamzak, recorded during the Adelaide Fringe. I've been trying to find a time to share this chat with you. He is such a great comedian, performer, improviser, Australian, particularly from West Australia. It's going to be an off-the-wall conversation. I hope you can tune in next time to hear that. Thanks very much to Fion, to the sisters, for joining us for the conversation you heard today. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. Mm-hmm.